Welcome into another episode of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney with you. We trudge along in the offseason, but hey, we've at least hit a key milestone because this weekend's re- record on Thursday, January 26th in the evening here in the States. This weekend, it is the Rolex 24 at Daytona, so we at least have racing on track this weekend to look forward to. It's an event that I definitely don't watch every hour, but I'll, I'll catch bits and pieces. It's just nice to have something, and with 10 current active IndyCar drivers participating, there's a lot of storylines for us to, to follow along with that. Between that and Daytona coming up, and you have the, what, the Clash, what, two weeks? Yes, I think so. Two-ish weeks, and then you got Daytona. Those will, those will hold us over a little bit. It's not the main event for us open-wheel fans, but... Their teasers to get to March 5th, which I want to say Formula One starts that same weekend, first weekend of March. Am I wrong? At Abu Dhabi? Is that where they're at to start the, the season? Uh, the F1 calendar for 2023, March 3rd through 5th. So same weekend yeah. as IndyCar at Bahrain. Go. Bahrain, yes. I knew it was a Middle Eastern place somewhere. So... But yeah, that's that's that will be for me the kickoff of the auto racing season. But you can get some get some teases here over the next couple of weeks. And we at least got some interesting news today in the world of IndyCar as we record this. The TV schedule for NBC, uh, NBC Sports, Peacock, obviously, and USA Network was officially released as far as the times. Now, this doesn't include green flag times, but you can usually kind of pick and choose those just for most tracks, what? Uh, add 35 minutes, 30, 35 minutes. 35-ish minutes. Sometimes you're jumping right into the action. Those are your favorite pre-race yes, shows. I love those pre-race shows. Yes. So we have the TV schedule. Obviously, a lot of news coming out uh, at Daytona ahead of the Rolex 24. Some news with Andretti, their F1 bid, what they're doing in IMSA, IndyCar tests. Um, we'll get into all of that. But first, the 2023 TV schedule is out. And here's how it stands. So most of these aren't surprises, but there are a few changes. I think a couple that are good, a couple that are unfortunately still bad. And one change that I, I know we kind of went back and forth via text that we'll get into. And it's, it's an interesting test case this year uh, with that. So first off, we have St. Pete, noon Eastern. All these times are going to give you our Eastern time, start times, but noon Eastern for the broadcast, pretty standard. Uh, Texas, same deal on April 2nd. Long Beach, April 16th, 3 o'clock Eastern. April 30th, Barber, 3 o'clock Eastern. These are all pretty standard. Nothing outside the ordinary. May 13th, you have the IMS Road Course at 3.30 Eastern. Indy 500 TV time, May 28th, 11 a.m. Obviously, we'd expect the green flag somewhere between 12.15 and 12.30 that day. Then in June, Detroit, June 4th, 3 o'clock Eastern. All these on NBC so far. Then yeah. on June 18th, uh, first race not on NBC, Road America, 1 o'clock Eastern, which is a noon local time start. Pretty standard for Road America. July 2nd, Mid-Ohio, 1.30 Eastern on USA, so a bit later than in previous years. Uh, July 16th, that's the Peacock-only race, 1.30 Eastern. Then you get to Iowa. And once again... The heat of the day. Yes. July 22nd, uh, race 1, 3 o'clock Eastern. Again, that's 2 o'clock local. Then July 23rd, race two, two o'clock Eastern, one o'clock local. I, 
it's one of those where I feel like you'd be better off just doing two night races or like early evening where it's on at like 7 p.m. Well, the problem is, is your musical acts that are big time acts and they don't want to go on late at night. And so I almost think like you're shoehorned into having the race, the races at these times to accommodate the major musical acts because they're also able to call their own shots in terms of what they want, because these are, are huge acts that are coming into Iowa. And so I think a certain extent of it has to do with accommodating the musicians. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that's, that's the wrong answer because of the popularity of some of these acts. So this is kind of what IndyCar has to do. Carrie Underwood, Ed Sheeran, Tim McGraw and Florida Georgia Line. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, these are four A-list acts. So it, it's kind of hard to fault there. They're then, not going to be told, hey, you're just going to be the B show or whatever this race is over. This is when you're going to be on and it could be 1030 at night. Like this is not how no. you land these acts. No, not not at all. And that means, I mean, at the, the latest IndyCar could start would be like seven Eastern, which would be six local and then a, a concert start but that's not even enough time because no, like, it's not you wouldn't time. even be able to start until what, like eight 30 at best local time at best. And you still have to clear. I imagine cleanup of the, the track and all that. It wouldn't start. I wouldn't think less than a half hour after the race. And then what happens if you have a red flag or a lot of cautions and then you're pushing it back. So I think this is just, um, weather yeah you're accommodating the musicians and it is what it is for for this event it's not ideal but the way you've built this event this weekend you really have to accommodate the musicians first in a lot of ways they're never going to admit that but i really think you book the acts you put the book the times that they want prime times and then you say okay we'll just sandwich the races in the middle of the afternoon well, and they're not going to want to perform at like 3 p.m. No, they don't want to be in the heat. No. And I'm sorry, Carrie Underwood is going to be able to call her shot a little bit more in the IndyCar series. Oh, it's just abs- facts. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So that's the July. Then in August, this is where you have a bit of a change. So August 6th, Streets of Nashville, again, back on NBC. Noon Eastern coverage starts on NBC. So that means 11 a.m. Central. That is a lot better for example, the first year, I think it was like a 4.30 Eastern, which would be 3.30 local. Yeah. Last year, I think it was a, a, like an hour earlier. So this is a lot better. Plus, for people coming from Indy for that race, you can make the travel work a lot easier. That means you're getting out of there 4 or 5 o'clock. Yeah. It's about a four and a half, five and a half hour drive. So I mean, you're get able to get home and probably be in bed no later than 11 o'clock as opposed to you know, the, the cannonball run where you'd be getting home <laughs> like midnight, yeah. 1 a.m. to then trying to get up the next day for work yeah, or something. Which, yeah. Uh, one of my buddies did that last year. Uh, I'm not sure how he did it, but yeah, so that's, that's a change. I think that's for the better. Then August 12th, the second IMS road course race, two o'clock Eastern on USA network. Then we're back on NBC for the final three, August 27th track, formerly known as gateway three thirty Eastern two thirty central. In St. Louis on August 27th. Brutal. Hot. Hot day. This this has convinced me that this will be the final year of the IndyCar race at Gateway and that they will just put Milwaukee in that slot. 
in Maybe. 2024. Yeah. Uh, it would be disappointing, but... It would. It'd be nice if we could keep Gateway, move it back to a night race, and then add Milwaukee somewhere else, but I just, I don't see that happening. Uh, yeah, I think um, we've heard things that this could be the last year Gateway. We haven't seen it really anywhere else, and hopefully we're wrong. I, I think if, if Bomarito Automotive Group is still shelling in as much money as they were then maybe it sticks around. I don't think they are. I think they're still supporting the event, but I don't think they're putting in as much capital, financial capital as they used to, to this. And of course, the track has really gone from IndyCar being a priority to Cup being the priority. And I don't blame them one bit about that. So um, for me, um, I hope it's not the last year. Could we see maybe a couple year break from from Gateway, maybe, um, but I still think it's a reasonably s- solid market that IndyCar needs to be in. Maybe it just needs a couple years off to maybe kind of rebuild that desire for that race because you can definitely see via the crowd that the last couple years has shrunk significantly. Absolutely. Then in September, final two races of the season, Portland, September 3rd, 3 o'clock Eastern, so that's noon local time on NBC, and then September 10th, at Laguna Seca to close it out, 2.30 Eastern, 11.30 a.m. Pacific. Obviously, I would guess Green Flag would be right around noon Pacific, 3 Eastern for that because they'll want to have a bit of a buildup on the broadcast. You're battling against the, what, opening weekend of the NFL there? Yeah, you're toast. It's it's tough, but (laughs) it's at least earlier, not deeper into the NFL season. So overall, not a whole lot of complaints. Iowa is what it is. Gateway is what it is. I think the Nashville start time moving up is a good move. Um, Detroit, I think, also has moved up, or excuse me, moved back uh, this year. But overall, I think the big takeaway, a lot of people are noticing, no night race in 2023. No, and I messaged you, is is it bad for IndyCar to not have a night race? Because for a while, we had a couple of years. We had Texas. We had Iowa. We had Gateway. I don't know if all three of them in one, were ever in one year, but we had multiple night races, and now we have none. And you said, well, yeah, it's probably not the most ideal for fans. Like, I would love to go see, see a night race at Gateway before I went to see a day race, but for ratings purposes, it's probably a good idea. And something Nathan Brown of the Indy Star pointed out, uh, IndyStar.com, his article on the schedule, I think this is a big factor So in previous years, there's been a couple of races that either have a NASCAR or Xfinity lead in or lead out even. Yeah. And according to the TV schedule and everything, his research shows only the Xfinity series race on the IMS road course on August 12th. So the second IMS road course race that follows IndyCar and will also be run on USA Network. That'd be the only boost. So there's no NASCAR to IndyCar race like for example, I think the first Nashville race, did we not see that happen? Maybe. Because Nashville I mean, started later. Or no, that was a lead-in due to the Olympics, perhaps. This was a sack. Look, people have been saying that IndyCar needed to start their races earlier in the day. And that's the that's the pushback then, what you get. If you're starting early, you don't have a lead-in, particularly from a, a NASCAR race that lasts four hours. So that's the problem. And with no night races, you don't have a lead-in in that way. So... It's probably going to hurt the ratings a little bit, not having those lead-ins. But wanted to bring this up about Detroit. And 
I am surprised that this isn't being made a bigger deal because Nashville was a huge deal and I understand it's a new market and it's a flashy city and I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's in the Midwest because I'll get yelled, it's in the upper South, whatever. Um, But Detroit going to a pure street race, street course at, and at the home of of automotive in this in this country and it just doesn't seem to have the buzz and i'm not saying maybe it is in detroit in around detroit but by the series or by the fans or by the media covering the sport that it just doesn't seem to have that buzz that nashville did or when other street courses are discussed and everybody still talks about what we talk about too oh denver would be cool to go to and this this we have an actual new street course race this year at Detroit in the midst of the city and not a lot's being made about it. Yeah, and, and tickets just went on sale earlier this week. I was looking up tickets because I, I plan to go and stay in Canada that weekend. Windsor? Probably. Right across the bridge? Across the border. Yeah. Um, and go to the race like on the Sunday and you know do some exploring in Canada and maybe around Detroit. Um, but it's, yeah, it is surprising. This is a new, new in quotation marks, just because this is similar to the circuit they used to race on a few modifications from you right. know, back in the day, about 30 years ago. But, but yeah, this, a minute. Is, this is a new event where you would expect to draw a much bigger crowd because you have a lot better infrastructure. It's a lot easier to get access to the track. Other things going on and, and gate access. Yeah. This is a big deal right around the, the Renaissance Center where you have the headquarters of GM, yeah. which is one of your main partners. Yeah. It's going to be huge for GM. Like This is an investment in that, in that by them in a lot of ways, too, to make this happen. But it just feels like, based on the, the lack of hype from the series or fans or whatever, another year with Belisle on the schedule, to be honest. It does feel that way. I wonder if that will change as we get into the season and there will be more said and more done. But yeah. Maybe. I mean, it, I don't know. It feels like it's just, oh, this is just another event. Everything leads up to the 500. And that's a week after the 500. So you really lead in. Oh, you can't wait until the streets of Detroit. Because all eyes and all attention is going to be hyping up the 500. So I just feel like the series should be doing more about hyping up this event. Because it's another street course event and 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 for a long time it's been on Belle Isle and it just kind of got sour there and it was difficult to get to and transportation wasn't ideal to get to the track get to the island there wasn't a lot of stuff to do now you're in the midst of Detroit and there's going to be a hell of a lot of stuff to do and if if IndyCar can add another successful street race we see that at Long Beach St. Pete and we, we think we have it in in Nashville right and and now Detroit uh, would be huge for the series. Yet we're just not hearing that 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 excitement, that buzz. And I do think a lot of it starts with the series. Why isn't IndyCar making this a bigger deal? In 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 a lot of respects, this is a brand new event on the streets of an American city at, that is the life life the the pulse of auto you know automaking in this country. And you're really not seeing this hyped up one bit. It's just weird to me. It is weird, and I don't know if it has to do with the timing, just because, like you said, it's right after the Indy 500. Well, we know how IndyCar operates, and we they love to just center on the 500 in terms of hyping stuff up. And this is something I thought about, too. Today, we're now, what, five weeks away from the start of the regular season? Yeah. And we, we heard the, the these massive investments in marketing and propping up the series and pushing it out there. 
maybe that maybe their start quote unquote isn't until February, but I'm not seeing a damn thing. I would say this. Maybe it's too I, early. I but would I, think so we'll saying. see some stuff this weekend. Like if you watch the Rolex 24, not just obviously NBC will probably promote like IndyCar drivers and NASCAR drivers participating. Right. Um, but I think we could see some advertisements. I would hope there's IndyCar signage, you know, at the track and, and different stuff going on. You would hope they have like a, a marketing team or something down there. I'm not sure. I, I'm not down there. I don't know. Now, in, in previous years, have they ignored the Rolex 24? The Indy, the Indy car? No. They, no they've they, actually, they've, the Indy car accounts and everything? No. No. Okay. What's always weird is they've always embraced like the Rolex 24 and the Indy car drivers participating. Then last year when you had Alex Pillow and, and Pato Award running FP1s with McLaren and, and F1, like it was radio silence. Well, it's because this antiquated approach to the Formula One is some rival of IndyCar, and that's that's archaic thinking, in my opinion. You can't think like that. Rising tide lifts all boats, and, and motorsport, uh, since the pandemic, has done a better job of kind of working together to try to help each other out, and they need to continue to do so, not just for IndyCar's benefit, but I think everyone benefits when they work together on these things, because it's it's not football or, you know, here in the U.S. or football, the rest of the world, you know, it's it's not even, you know, rugby, like in some countries, or basketball, or baseball, or whatever. Like, it, motorsport needs all the help they can get because they're so dependent on advertising and sponsorship to be successful. Yes, absolutely. And you hope, IndyCar said all the right things. They were going to up their budget for marketing and, and presence, online presences, all that stuff. And it's probably too early considering the first race is March 5th. I'm just saying, I hope we see an appreciable jump in February to hype up the start of the season, as opposed to what we've seen in the last couple of years, because then I'll start to doubt that they even are intelligent enough to know what to do. Even if the budget went up, that doesn't mean they have the, the, the right people in the right spots to know exactly what to do to properly use that budget to market the series. So, I'm hoping we see an uptick in in things, and I, I'm trying to think, does NBC have any big sporting events coming up? They don't have either an, uh, the either conference championship game. They don't have the Super Bowl. I don't even know what's on in February for, for on NBC sport wise. Like I could, because I already much. you know watching the the divisional playoffs last week, and they have commercials for the Clash on. That I, admittedly, yes, is closer. Then the start of the season that they were they were on I saw multiple times on Fox previewing the clash. So I don't know. I, I'm hoping to see a change in how IndyCar approaches marketing the sport and marketing the series and not ninety five percent of the marketing budget go to the Indianapolis five hundred. I've yet to see it. Hopefully we start seeing it in February. If there's nothing seen from either IndyCar or NBC this weekend during the Rolex 24 beyond just NBC pointing out, here's how the IndyCar drivers are doing in the race. You know, beyond that, I will be surprised and disappointed. Something I've always thought too, is just like a simple countdown where with 25 days or something, and you put out either a 25, 30 second, video clip each day saying 20 days to whatever. And you have a driver on that set that I don't know, mix it in with their number or the amount of races they've won or amount of seasons they've run something. 
and find a way to count down from 20, 25, whatever. And every day you're just from putting 33. That. Yeah, there you go. How about 33 <laughs> days from the start of the season? And it's allowed, even though it's it's Indy 500. Uh, but it's a number. Synonymous it's a number with synonymous. So start at 33. Find somebody that's won that's that's won 33 times, or was the 33rd starter, or blah blah blah. And you just start moving up from 33 and counting all the way down to the fifth. We always get the hundred days till the Indianapolis 500. We are absolutely hit over the head with marketing because everybody's getting little bottles of milk and all that stuff and, and press tours and all that. Where's that for IndyCar? And maybe it starts ramping up at the, at the, at the test at Thermal Club. Maybe yeah, which is kinda, literally next week. Yeah, so maybe after that they can get a lot of footage and maybe they start that count. I just think, thinking simply, every day should have a different number that you're counting down to the start of the season and it can be a short snippet of 25, 30 seconds, something mixed in with highlights, mixed in with the driver, whatever, talking about the, what if it's 18 days left, how that number ties into that particular driver. That's simple. And I'm a dullard. I'm 40 years old. I don't know the market and, and stuff, but that's to me, seems like a simple idea that you could pull off. The other thing is we don't know. We expect there to be a streaming option for the thermal club test for at least one of the two days. It's coming up. In fact, next week, the test will take place at the thermal club in California. And this will run. Let's see. I have it saved somewhere on the actual is it a uh, Thursday and Friday of next week? So just, that would be okay. February 2nd and 3rd. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought at least one day, I thought the second day last I saw was going to be broadcast. Yeah, and we streamed. don't know if that's on Peacock yeah. or IndyCar.com, but not we sure. expect one streaming day. And I think that is a, a good way to get people excited, give them some access. You, you have a broadcast team. This is kind of similar to like what we've seen in the past with like the the long test days at IMS where you right. get coverage for that. It's a start, but that shouldn't be the only thing that they're doing. No, but maybe that's what they're looking at is, okay, we're going to start our push, our marketing push for the season at Thermal Club with the private test. And then throughout the month of February, we're, we're pushing stuff out. That's what I hope to see. And remember, that's the same weekend that leads into NASCAR's Clash of the Coliseum in LA. So you're going to have a lot of NASCAR media out there beforehand anyway so you would hope you can get some of them to check out indycar at thermal club just tack on the trip but how many people cover both i mean other than than jenna fryer yeah i mean he's covering both true so i mean there's several other reporters you, you might get them to check out like um trying to think of the guy from the athletic who covers motorsports i mean who does who does motorsports for like yes is it still Marty Smith? He does some ESPN, stuff. They still be have Ryan both. McGee. He would yeah, that's what I was thinking. Both. Ryan McGee, yeah. So maybe those guys, but I don't think it's a large list of no. Of we're people talking that would about both. probably two or three. People yeah, two or three who would do tops. both. But still, just because they're in the same area, it's it's a starting point and a way to get more coverage. I think that's positive for IndyCar. You just hope that with that, because I believe they're doing their media days at the same time along with the, the test days. So this is a, a starting point where you're next week, a month out from the season. Right. Basically. Yeah. I'm hoping it's race it's, weekend. It starts then to really begin to truly hype up and market the start of the season. 
So I talked about IndyCar, NASCAR, really no lead-ins. Uh, there will be six races, according to Nathan Brown, where you have direct competition between the two series. Uh, Long Beach, same start time, 3 o'clock Eastern. Uh, cups at Martinsville. Barber, Cup starts an hour earlier. Detroit, Cup uh, is at Gateway a half hour later. Toronto, Cup starts an hour later at New Hampshire. Iowa race two, Cup a half hour later at Pocono. And the season finale, uh, Cup starts a half hour later at Kansas. So not great. Not ideal. At least with these, it's IndyCar on, on NBC for most of them. So that's a positive. Correct. But uh, not ideal. I think you have six head-to-heads or indirect head-to-heads and zero lead-ins. That's, that's not good. How important or unimportant is it that there's no night race? I know we kind of talked about it, but like, is eh. this a trend? Is this like, here's the thing with a night race. It's terrible for TV networks unless it's on a Sunday night. And for IndyCar, that would mean it'd have to be the Sunday Memorial Day weekend. That's obviously not happening. Right. Unless they add light to IMS. Not happening. Um, you'd have July 4th, you know, weekend or around there. And that's tough because they're at mid-Ohio during the day. And that's, again, not really feasible. Then you have Labor Day weekend where they're at Portland. Again, not really feasible. And with most of these, you'd be competing directly with NASCAR. Right. As far as them having a night race. So, like, the only way to get a good rating on a night race, quite honestly, is to have it on a Sunday night or to do what SRX is doing and, and doing the Thursday night races. And IndyCar, I, I think the time to have tried that was years ago and they, they never took advantage of there's always that slow week in the sports calendar after the MLB All-Star game before stuff ramps back up again. Yeah. That would be the week to try it. I still think it'd be an idea we're trying. You're not going to get a big crowd, but you could get a really good TV number. Yeah, probably. I, I don't know just how feasible that is. I think it sounds in principle like a good idea, but I also think that people, I don't know. I have a hard time believing that just because nothing is else, nothing else is on in the sporting world, people are going to tune in. Um, because I don't really believe that. Some people just aren't going to watch, or some people are just used to nothing being on at that time, um, that they're not going to do it. And it's not like people are tuning in in droves, in my opinion, to watch baseball anyway. So they're like, oh man, there's no baseball game on, so I'm going to turn on IndyCar race. I think several years ago that made sense, but now I think with the um, the landscape of watching sports, and really being able to pick and choose what you watch is I'm not really sure if that would work. But I agree with you in terms of the night races and where would you really race. You can't do it at Iowa based on the musical acts. You can't do it at Indy, obviously. Um, Gateway would be the only thing. Um, or Texas, right? Yeah, and, and Gateway was, I mean, it started at twilight, yes. essentially, last year. Finished in the darkness because they had the rain delay. And yeah. In Texas, they've moved it to the daytime. That's that's fine, I guess. I mean, when you're going to move it that much earlier in the calendar, you don't want it to be a night yeah, race. Yeah, be a little chilly. Be cold. Plus, I think too is the cost of having the lights on. So for Texas, they can't get a crowd. What's the? Why do they want to add expense by having the lights on for a race that's not bringing in that many people anyway? 
So in that respect, maybe that is part of the pushback too, is none of these these uh, these ovals want a night race because they think, well, we can get about the, the comparable crowd during the day and we cut down on our expenditures, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a good point we don't think about. I mean, turning the lights on costs thousands of dollars. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's not like you have them on for two hours during the race. No. I mean, this is a, something you, you got to maintain, upkeep, yeah. obviously. It's, it's an added expense for racetracks and everything is very expensive when it comes to motorsports and that's just another thing to add to the bottom line. And if your pro- yeah, and if your profit margin is extremely thin for hosting an IndyCar race, then you're not going to cut into that profit margin with an unneeded expenditure of having the lights on. For sure. So that's a look at the TV schedule. Uh, other thing of note, obviously we mentioned it, the Rolex 24 at Daytona coming up this weekend, 10 drivers, active IndyCar drivers participating, Scott Dixon, Colton Herta, we'll get to more on him in a bit. Elio Castroneves, Simon Pagano, Joseph Newgarden, Scott McLaughlin, Renus VK, Devlin DeFrancesco, Roman Grosjean, and Kyle Kirkwood, uh, the 10 active IndyCar drivers participating. And uh, Colton Herta set to do double duty. I don't know if this is still uh, true, but I saw this story last week that he is going to race in not one, but two classes for this event. I'm not sure how that's going to work, but well, he must get out of one car as they rotate and get into another car apparently. But I yeah, didn't know that is, was allowed. He is set to race uh with BMW, uh Ray Hall team and GTP, which is uh the class and expected to be a a, a floater um between the Ray Hall uh, GTP class entries for the 24. So Good for him. I, I hope that goes well. <laughs> yeah, he's going to be one tired dude. Absolutely. Well, everyone's going to be tired, but they just they find a way to power through. They do. I guess the adrenaline's flowing a little bit. I saw, too, that Romain Grosjean flying his yes. way to yeah, Daytona he, in he, his he, private plane. More and more of these guys getting their pilot's license. I know yes. Rossi has his. Grosjean just got his. I'm sure there are others I'm forgetting. but I was actually doing research, too, because I saw him tweet uh, that he was flying. He was flying his Baron, which is a pretty small private plane. I think it's yeah, a prop it's plane. Prop plane. Yeah, it's a Beechcraft Baron. Uh, but basically, it seats like six. From what I was looking, at. I did way too much um, research on this. I'm nice glad little... you did it because I intended to do the research into it. Yeah, yeah. I was curious. It's like a my my uncle. Uh, it's flown like he was in the. Air Force and had a, a small plane for years okay. and years. I forget what his was. I don't think it was a Piper, but it's a different, like it's another one of those. It's a single engine, you know, you could seat four comfortably, five if you squeeze everyone in. Yeah. This one's actually a twin prop engine uh, plane. So that'll be a lot faster. Um, yeah. And actually the, the interior is basically, so you have the pilot and co-pilot at the front and then you have dual seats facing each other in the interior behind that with a table in the middle. And that's pretty much it. So it's, it's not, um, I would say lavish by any means, but uh, pretty nice and, uh, gets you from A to B in relatively quick fashion. And probably it, I was pricing them about a million dollars. Yeah. That checks out for a Beechcraft bear. And planes are something that's different where they can actually appreciate in value. Really? Time. They can. Yeah. They can grow. They, so they're not like cars where as soon as no. you buy them, they're starting to 
be worth no, less it, and less. If they're well maintained, huh. uh, that that can happen. Is my understanding. I could be way wrong on this. But no, but be confident. Be, yeah, so just <laughs> we know what we're talking about. They they appreciate <laughs> yeah. value. Yeah, we we don't even know what we're talking about with any. So <laughs> why, why would you think we know what we're talking about with uh, private planes? But yes, yeah, and, nice and, little. And speaking of Grosjean, so a lot of news with. His his IndyCar team and sports cars uh-huh. this week. So first off, it's the fact that they are going to give Ricky Taylor a test. This is not a surprise. Um, he, he tested with Team Penske back in 2018. Apparently that test went really, really well. Um, and their goal is to be in uh, WEC, race at Le Mans in, in the coming years and expand from one car with their... Wayne Taylor racing partnership to two and bring Ricky and Jordan Taylor on board to have two entries next year. Ricky Taylor racing, uh, Rick Taylor racing has always kind of been that team that I thought eventually would dabble into IndyCar. I don't know if it'll ever be a full fledged independent team in IndyCar, but it seems that relationship with Ganassi racing continues to, uh, to grow more and more. So I, I, I could see it at some point being maybe a, a dual entry type thing. Um, well, no, they're partnered with Andretti now. Oh, Andretti. That's yeah, what I mean. Yeah. yeah. So Andretti, I, I could see them being part of a dual entry with Andretti at some point. Um, but well, in, in, in racer, Marshall Pruitt reported that they're, they're even looking at, you know, potentially getting uh, Ricky in a car. Obviously they want to get both. Right. Back in Jordan is the younger one. Jordan is uh, the younger one. He's with the Corvette racing factory team. So, and they both race for their dad, Wayne in the past, but this would be an opportunity. And I don't know if they give up sports cars per se, but obviously if you get the IndyCar opportunity, I would think they're not going to turn it down. I just feel like it's a team that can, as it continues to have success and it's really own sports cars, right? At least in its discipline. Um, with Wayne Taylor racing is, is as they continue yeah, to have they've, success. They've been one of the top teams for a while. Yeah. That's why I've kind of thought, okay, they would naturally want to branch out, but I think Wayne Taylor has really kind of been diplomatic or very, very careful at what he jumps into to make sure it doesn't really, um, jeopardize the success they've had in sports cars. So eventually I could see them having a car in, in IndyCar. Maybe it's an Andretti and Wayne Taylor racing, racing co-entrant type thing, but I don't know if we ever get to a point where they're an independent team in the sport. And Andretti putting his focus on sports cars because the F1 entry is still pending. Um, there's plenty of drama on that. You can read all about it elsewhere. We're, we're not going to get into all of it just because there's really nothing a whole lot that's that new right uh, now. No, I mean, what is it? Christian Horner went into detail, mm-hmm. uh, team principal at Red Bull, about what the issues were, and he was just echoing what stuff we've talked about on this show basically is is basically if it doesn't bring added value to the other 10 teams, then why would those teams want it? And financially that makes a lot of sense to me. You can argue whether it does or doesn't bring value to those 10 teams, but if those two teams don't think it does, then I can't blame them for saying no. And they're saying no to everybody. The only most vocal component of this, of course, is Andretti, but right now they're saying no to everybody basically. Yeah, and the head of the FIA, Ben uh, Sulliam, says that Andretti is the only team that's contacted the FIA about joining the F1 grid. It's a prospective new team. You got to remember, F1 keeps saying, oh, we have several potential, you know, interested parties. So, not sure who's telling the truth there. 
I think there are always teams looking to enter Formula One at varying um, varying spots and trying to enter. I would think Andretti maybe is the furthest along. That's the closest to jumping into Formula One if tomorrow they were told yes. But there's multiple teams out there, multiple entities that are in some way, shape, or form trying to have conversations with Formula One about joining the grid. So we'll see. Again, that's going to be a long, drawn-out process that I don't think we'll have an answer to anytime soon. Uh, one other note to get to. So we had talked about Elio and his interest in the past running uh, the Daytona 500. Elio's ruled that out. Uh, still wants to race there in the future. Might attend the Daytona 500 uh, coming up. Uh, talks are ongoing for Elio to get a ride with Floyd Mayweather's TMT Racing. As recently as last week, uh, that's according to Nathan Brown, uh, but without a guarantee to make the race um, and not having experience in the car, much of a chance to really ramp up. They've shoved those planes. However, Adam Stern reporting that they're now looking into whether Connor Daly could get into a seat, a deal not yet finalized. That mm, would be fascinating. The plot thickens. For sure. As always, if... Uh, you agree or disagree and want to, or want to learn more about the show, where to reach us, you can find us, NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. While you're there, sign up for the email list. It is free, and you can catch um, any of the announcements we make. We'll post uh, emails anytime we have a new episode, special announcements. Also, you can check out the store. We have t-shirts and stickers for sale there. Plus, don't forget to check out uh, New Track Record on social media, IndyCar Podcast, uh, Twitter, and Instagram handles on Facebook, just search for New Track Record. Plus, you can email us, newtrackrecordpodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to be a supporter, next level, we appreciate it. New Track Record on Patreon, patreon.com slash newtrackrecord with tiers as little as $1 a month. Thanks to Xavier, Rob, and others for their support. And you can always find us on your favorite podcasting platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts all for free. Time for the mailbag and... What do we got? A few things to get to. Nothing too wild this week. First off, uh, posted a poll the other day. And we'll get to a, a rumor on this, but revisiting one of our favorite topics, third OEM, which manufacturer most likely to join Honda and Chevy? Nearly 55% said Toyota. Just under 10% said BMW, 23.5% Cadillac, nearly 12% said other. A couple of replies here. Tyler underscore Allen. I still wonder how IMSA can get so many. Uh, IndyCar can't get someone to build 15 engines per year. Love to see Ford and Toyota. And that would lessen the burden on everyone. Would be cool to see Nissan Infinity back again. Um, I just... Nissan, or Nissan, did they do any Infinity racing? was with the series way back in the IRL era, right. I think. But yeah, that that's the most recent. Oh, the 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 pure answer is how does sports cars get it? It's because it, relevant it, technology. It's relevant technology. It's not hard, people. The other series that OEMs invest in in and we've talked about this before. The two things: relevant technology and eyes on product. Right? Yeah. Now, because you could say Formula One. That's not re- too relevant technology in terms of road cars. There's some aspects of it. Uh, I mean, they they were. They've always been ahead of the curve, though, with technology. True. But I'm saying you're not putting stuff on those cars that you're also putting on road cars. No. Nothing. No. 
I mean, but you're the, text they, testing they, technology they and all that stuff. They tested hybrid stuff yes. going back for like a decade. Yes, but in terms of the money invested, you could say, oh, they could they could do that easier and in, say IndyCar or something. Well, it's it's eyes on product. It's it's the 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 cachet you get from being in Formula One. It's it's two things. It's relevant technology and the amount of people watching or interested in your sport. And right now, IndyCar is neither. IMSA does not have eyes on product. No, but, but they have relevant tech. They have relevant tech. And yes. that's that's the key. And it's it's easy entry. IndyCar yeah. makes it, and I think part of it is just the rules are so rigid that I think that's why it's been so hard to attract other people. It's here. Here's the framework of where you have to stick this engine and you need to make it fit. And OEMs will look at it and go, I don't want to do that. And then that's the end of the conversation. That's yeah. basically dumbing it down to, okay, here's the end, here's the housing. You have to put it in this housing. Can we do this? No. Can we do this? Can we do? Can we do this? No. You have to fit it in this. And eh, we're not interested. And I think that's part of it is, you know, if you had a more open formula, I think you'd be able to get more people. And we're not talking run what you brung type era. We're not we're no. not talking about that. No, and they haven't you done can't that. Go for... back to that because it would destroy the sport. Yeah, they just, haven't done that for like nearly, what, 50 years? I mean, really? then all of a sudden we're having haves, have-nots, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. I mean, part of the basis is you need to keep things relatively competitive in IndyCar um, to have the interest there by teams and investors and all that. But you can lessen the restrictions a little bit to allow some sort of actual critical thinking and being able to build something unique to bring to the sport. And right now, OEMs don't have that in IndyCar. Rob underscore McMahon. Sorry, couldn't resist. And it's the gif of uh, Steve Carell uh, as his character from The Office. Just kind of cry laughing. Yeah. Uh, Poet Shevchenko. I'm going to shake things up. Instead of trying to bring OEMs to IndyCar, let's bring IndyCar to the OEMs. Three new street races on the calendar that go around the HQs of Toyota, Ferrari, and Porsche. (laughs) Yeah. And don't even have them on the schedule. Just show up and start driving around the parking lot. Just do it. It's it's one way to just kind of mix it up. You, you, you got to try something, right? You have to try something. Obviously, you can't close in the boardroom, so let's try to do it on the racetrack. Yeah, I I just I don't feel confident in that. Uh, some thoughts on the IndyCar TV schedule. Jamin T14 uh, says, good. It'd be great if all the ovals minus Indy were night races, but the network coverage is great. Hopefully people watch it. True. We have to remember, we have, what, 13 races on NBC, three on USA, one on Peacock. What more can you really complain about? I get people are going to complain about the Peacock race. Well, we always got to find something. We're IndyCar fans, right? So the the traditional things we used to complain about, uh, lack of visibility on network television, um, no races or very few races before the 500 on network television. Um inopportune start times in terms of being late in the day or whatever. Most of those are gone and gaps other than really the, the initial gap after St. Pete is there's no more than a two week gap in between any race on the calendar. Am I wrong? Um, you know, that's a, it's a good question. So yeah, there's a very long gap there, but then after that, I don't think there's more than two weeks between any race no looking at it there are not that is very positive yes 
So always talked about, well, that gap, there's a three-week gap here, three-week gap there. There's really only one. Yes, it's a month. And yes, you know what would be perfect in that gap? Argentina. <laughs> Just saying. Or Homestead. Or yeah. I, I don't know. I would get more excited for Argentina than I would an oval in that space. Because I don't think anybody's clamoring for an, a homestead. At least enough people. Here's my thing. This is this is my depressing statement on uh, ovals. If the excitement and energy and turnout for Gateway can go down the toilet, then I am not confident on in any oval long term lasting on the IndyCar schedule. If it doesn't work at Gateway, where's it going to work? Like, tell me, tell me literally where it's going to work. Not get, not Homestead. It didn't work before. And the weather, it's it's a little different down in Argentina, but March, April, May is their autumn. It's mild. Uh-huh. The temperatures can exceed 72 degrees in northern parts of the country. Uh, it's, it's not going to be that hot. It's not going to be that cold. Obviously, it depends on altitude, but it, it's doable. It just depends if it's super rainy and i don't think it's super rainy during that time from what i'm reading so it's a it's a possibility do it let's do it i i agree i i know there's question whether or not it's exhibition race or no make it part of the schedule i i agree start the season at saint pete and then that two weeks later going to argentina two weeks later you're at texas this from poet shevchenko i hope none of it is opposite a cup race well unfortunately six of them are any car tended to benefit when they either had a cup lead-in or they led into a cup race themselves. Yeah, that is the one thing missing from this schedule this year. Also, Poet Shevchenko is sending a note that Ford is considering LMDH and LMH platforms so we could have an actual Ford versus Ferrari in real life again. Yeah. That would be uh, pretty cool. Of course, we're not going to get Ford back in IndyCar, so I guess we'll, we'll take them in other series that we can get. Right. So that's a look at the mailbag. Thanks to everyone for their submissions. Kind of a, a quiet week, but... Uh, Appreciate it nonetheless. News and notes time. There's plenty. Oh, we have a lot to talk about. Plenty to get into in this category. Yeah. So this was interesting coming out today. Uh, Holly Kane. She is a motorsports reporter. I think really focuses on NASCAR. But uh, she tweeted this. Brian Herta said today that he would love to field a car for Robert Wickens in the 2024 Indy 500. Should they be able to work out all the competitive necessities, sponsors, technical modifications, etc.? Herta says, I think it's possible. And then Wickens even addressed it on his own Twitter account after that. So this is uh, very exciting if they could make that happen. We always thought that eventually Robert Wickens would return to IndyCar in some capacity. I don't think we'll ever see Robert Wickens as a full-time driver again. In IndyCar, but the Indy 500, I thought was was always going to be something that Robert Wickens wanted to do and would do again. In my opinion, the biggest hurdle is technically how you figure that out. Yeah, I think you wouldn't have any problem with sponsors, uh, support, anything. I think the key thing would be can Robert Wickens competitively drive the car over the course of 200 laps. And it, I mean, you'd obviously have to do uh, several test days, you know, beforehand yeah. to get everything. And is the technology? modified can it is it is it reliable can't so let's Mm -hmm. and it's not like he couldn't handle it over 200 miles i'm saying could the technology is it there to be able to run for 500 miles however that looks if it's all on the paddle 
whatever, however that looks. I'm not even sure. Um, is it like a hand accelerator type thing? I, I, I don't even know. I don't even know how that would look. I mean, some of the stuff is already on the steering wheel as it is, right? Correct. So you just kind of have to modify it slightly more to make it work. But it, either way, it's very intriguing. I think it happens eventually at some point. I don't know if 2024, I, I, I feel like he would be a guy that would want to test the technology at another race first, not the Indianapolis 500. You? Yes. I mean, could you see him like on a road course? Yeah. I sometime, maybe like in 24, he does a road course or something. And then 25, he does the 500 or something. This just seems like, I know it's a lot of time. It's what, 16 months or so, 17 months. But to to really get the the uh, technology locked in, that doesn't seem like a lot of time. Meanwhile, several sponsor uh, news and announcements. Uh, McLaren revealed all their cars this week. Pato Awards looks very similar from last year. Black and orange, good-looking car. Uh, for Rossi and Rosenquist, I think the only way to tell them apart easily is that Rosenquist will have NTT data on the side pod. Uh, Rossi will not, but their cars look very, very similar. It's the same car, essentially, I know a lot of people said uh, on Twitter. But uh, either way, good to see expansion. Obviously, McLaren has invested a lot, and hopefully for them it pays off with an Indy 500 win and a championship. You think eventually they're going to get over that hump, but we haven't seen Ganassi or Penske win a title going all the way back. Uh, or a team other than those other two, than win, those two win, yeah. win a title going back to 2012. So we it's, could, it's been a bit. We've continued to say McLaren was closing the gap at those top two, but we haven't seen them get over the hump in either winning a 500 or winning a series championship. And, They've been and, close. Yes. But when do we become this year? I'm going to say it's a make or break, but in terms of us continuing to look at, at McLaren as in that picture, as in closing that gap, do you feel like this year needs to be a year? where they get one, at least one yeah. of them. And I think I th- I think they will. I mean, they have one legitimate championship contender and two guys who can compete for race wins. I'm not sure if Rossi is still a championship contender. Uh, I mean, he wasn't at the end of his time in Andretti, but sometimes having a new team, you get a reset and you're back in contention, right? It could just be the situation just was no longer a good fit. The best thing for the series would be McLaren winning a series championship. Yes. Or any other team. But I think McLaren is that team closest to breaking through. Because you can try to hype up as many people as you want in terms of the series championship and who has a chance. But in the end, it comes down to Penske and Ganassi. Those are the only two teams capable of winning a championship. Meanwhile, Rahel Letterman Lanigan Racing released that uh, they have a new Primary sponsor for Jack Harvey's number 30 car. Remember, he's not in the high V car. Custom uh, entertainment, custom with a K. Um, they produce events and concerts. Uh, seven races they'll be on the car. And custom entertainment uh, actually stems from like the Shield Cleansers brand, same company that's connected, Digital Ally, which uh, does a, a lot of stuff. They also acquired Ticket Smarter. So, this is just a way for them to basically launch a new brand. So another new sponsor and Stefan Wilson. We have the primary sponsor, Annika Sorensam, former LPGA great golfer, uh, the ready to drink cocktail company. Fizzy bees is partnered 
uh, with the team for the Indy 500 brand. And this makes sense when you look at the connection. Uh, Annika is a global brand ambassador for Lola Sport, which is a partner for Cusick back in 2021. Good to see. Absolutely. And let's see, a couple other notes. Uh, so you see these Ferrucci hats that the Foyt crew had? No, I didn't see yeah, those. Yeah, so there's a visor with like some, you know, kind of hair sticking out of the top is one of those hats. Oh, they yeah, had to yeah. look like Ferrucci. They have those for sale on the Foyt team shop page on their website, but they kind of did that as a prank. Really cool, great marketing idea. Uh, also, Hunko's Hollinger Racing, they'll have their livery launch, driver interviews, and more January 28th. So look forward to that. Benjamin Peterson, they revealed his livery uh, for Foyt. The number 88 car, that's AJ Foyt's age. Sexton Company's car, that will be the sponsor in Coyote Red. So that looks really cool. It does. Can't I saw it. that livery. Pretty sharp. Very excited to see that on track this year. Some other notes to get to. IndyCar's uh, new hybrid package completed uh, several hundred miles of testing at Sebring. That from Racer.com. So they're on track there. Not that that's a big surprise. Also, some documentaries. So IndyCar has their streaming series. Well, if you're in the Netherlands, for our Dutch listeners, Renus VK will have a documentary that comes out on Amazon Prime Video Benelux. So this is available in Netherlands only for Amazon Prime Video subscribers there. February 10th, uh, Amazon Original, and the, the name of it is VK. So Dutch I listeners, saw that. I look for that. And then Flow Racing their Legends of Racing docuseries debuts January 31st, focusing on the Bittenhausen family. Oh, that's a familiar name. Mm-hmm. Very familiar fun. to those who followed IndyCar, what, going back to, what, the 90s? So that's, that's a look at that. So that's everything in the air. Time for Tweets of the Week. I think it's just one this week, and it is... Oh, actually, one other note. I forgot one other thing. Yes. Uh, congrats to J.R. Hildebrand and his wife, Kristen, as they're expecting their first child. Hey. So congrats to Congratulations. To now time for the tweet of the week. This is from TRC underscore Terpstra. Hey, Marshall Pruitt, since IndyCar isn't bringing in new engines next year, can they bring back LED panels instead? Yes. Well, for the, about the 18th time, we got to explain to the, that the technology was... Uh, not good enough to keep those things working with the rigors of the car all bouncing and all that around. So unfortunately, remember that was like the big thing. Oh, they could put like the flat, the nationality flag of the drivers up there and all that stuff. Like it was kind of cool, but at the same time you were like, man, is it really adding that much? Do you feel like it really added that much to the broadcast or watching the races? It was helpful when you were at the race. The only thing that was really helpful was what position they were in. Yes. Was the key, I thought. Um, that was nice, especially when you're at a road course race or something where you're not near uh, a, a pylon or something, a sign pylon, and you can't see the, 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 the places. Yeah, I think that was the greatest thing out of all of them. That was incredibly helpful for sure. Definitely. Uh, one other note Marshall Pruitt had in the mailbag as far as Linus Lundquist. Uh, Pruitt says... He was in the paddock at Daytona for the roar before the 24, looking for opportunities. Also says that he's heard that Lundquist has ranged in any car test for himself in the next month or two. So hopefully good news coming there. How about that? All right, time for our random split era driver of the week. 
All right, we're going back to uh, 2001, and we're going to go with a guy that I was not familiar with, but I should have been familiar with in terms of his history, and we're going with Corey Witherell. Heard of him. Yes. He was uh, like a short track guy, right? He was uh, not only that, but the a Native American Navajo race car driver from L.A. Actual native, um, born in Santa Monica, very un-native-like in terms of Santa Monica, but um, very interesting because in 2001, and, and I vaguely remember this, uh, made a, a with a brand new engine and ran for Regency Racing in 2001 and on bump day just put it all together and was able to make the show and started 31st, finished 19th in the 2001 Indianapolis 500. Um, but then when Regency Racing basically fell apart after the season, he did the Infinity Pro Series for several years um, with Genoa Racing and um, and Regency Racing. Then again, for, for the Pro Series with, was with Himmelgarn uh, racing for a couple years um but then kind of uh, uh fell off and tried to uh actually won one race in infinity pro series at the nashville super speedway and also attempted to become the first full-blooded native american in nascar never meant never made it um and was married to a former reporter for motor week tv uh but separated in 2017 but the first, uh, I didn't say first full-blooded Native American driver in IndyCar or open-wheel racing, just a guy that was trying to make it in NASCAR, but a memorable run in 2001 to make the show at the Indianapolis 500 for Indy Regency Racing, finished 19th that year, not too shabby. That was his one and only start in the IndyCar series. And he was the only full-blooded Native American to race in the Indy 500. There you go. So... That's pretty cool. I, I've heard of him. Um, I, I didn't really know his his background beyond just you know IRL, but he he raced in Indy Lights when it was under cart sanction for a couple years. Kind of mixed success, as you mentioned, but yeah, very cool to chance. to get the chance. Look for a lot of these guys, just getting to the Indy Five Hundred is is the dream come true, and he was able to achieve that. Absolutely, and you wouldn't think seeing his name, Corey Witherell had the background of being a full-blooded native, but a really cool story for him to be able to make that uh, 500 in 2001. And again, I, I remember that run. I may have to go back. I'm sure I can find it on YouTube, but brand new engine. They had just put in that engine at that car. I don't think he had much test time or anything to really shake it down and went out and was able to put it in the 500. So a uh, cool story way back in 2001. But uh, Corey Witherell, this week's random split era driver of the week. All right. Next week, we'll have IndyCars on track at the Thermal Club. We'll uh, take a look at the testing, or at least as far as what occurred on day one of testing. And we'll get into that next week as the season will be basically one month away when we have our episode next week. For Justin Kinney, I'm Caleb Hatch. Thanks for joining us on another edition of New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.